Welcome to the Sandbox. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. And it is summer. So nice outside right now. It is beautiful outside. It's kind of summer right now here in southeastern Minnesota that you don't even need air conditioning. You just open the windows. And it's the best. It's the best. We, and we earn it around here in these <laughs> parts. We uh, it, More than other parts of the country. But it also reminds me that it's been a year since our trip out to California. That is crazy. It's been actually over a year. Since we got back. Amazing. Amazing. And it was such a good trip. And we, of course, since then have done our, our trip out to the East Coast and talked with all kinds of people out there. But this is the last, uh, one of the last interviews that we have from that trip out to California. And uh, it's with our hosts. Uh, yeah. So when we were out in San Francisco, uh, we stayed actually with Dave's aunt. My aunt. Uh, Joanne Chadwick. Um, and we actually got to meet up with her um, and uh, her friend Chuck Lewis and hear a little bit about their story. It was so great. We were seeing actually there's a guest apartment at my aunt's uh, apartment building. And so we were able to stay in there. And, and a lot of the interviews that we conducted, we conducted in that apartment building. So you could kind of hear the noise of San Francisco traffic, <laughs> traffic going, by going out. Yep. I think at one point in this interview, we had to pause for a while because sirens were going by. And it was like at 10 o'clock at night too. Yeah, that was, it was, just, we were right in the middle of the city. And it was great. Uh, excellent experience. A, a bit about Joe and Chuck. Chuck is a retired pastor, uh, served in congregations, also served served as a night minister on the streets of San Francisco. And Joe, my Aunt Joe, is also retired after a career working in the church uh, with the YWCA, with suicide prevention, and all of that's just for starters. But they've always both been working in support of peace and justice for many years to make their communities and the world a better place to live in. Now, both in their 80s, they reflect a bit on where they've been, where we are now, and where we might be headed. With that, welcome to episode 46, Freedom Isn't Finished, with Joe and Chuck. Well, uh, I'm Chuck Lewis, and uh, got here by way of uh, Chicago Lutheran Theological Seminary, and did my internship with what was then called the Luther League of America in Philadelphia. As a result of that internship, when I graduated from seminary, I went back to become an associate secretary of the Luther League of America, and probably that was the first time that I got exposed to any sense of racism, because at the time, Friendship Press was developing all kinds of materials to deal with the new racism that was being uh, attacked here in the, uh, in, the, in the United States. This is before the civil rights movement. So when I, uh, when a merger took place and I ended up going to be an uh, assistant pastor in displays in Illinois, after about a year and nine months, uh, I resigned that position but was in touch with uh, one of the people from uh, our Board of American Missions who suggested that I come out here to develop a mission parish in North Beach. At that particular time, he also indicated to me that there was a large uh, homosexual um, element in San Francisco, and part of the mission was to see what I could do in relating to that particular group of people. Just immediately prior to that, the Life magazine article came out that exposed a great many of the bars and other activities within the gay lesbian community here in San Francisco, so it was very easy for me to get involved. 
It was 1964 in January when I came here, and uh, Joe joined me when uh, in June of that year for what we then called a team ministry. It was also the same year that the night ministry came into being because Don Stewart, the first night minister from Lincoln, Nebraska, had volunteered himself to be the first night minister, and he was accepted. I became his assistant, uh, his very first assistant, and worked two nights a week while he worked the, uh, the rest of the week. It was also the time when uh, the Council on Religion and the Homosexual came into being as a result of the Mill Valley Conference, which was founded by uh, the, a group of five clergy from a national level who were working together out here, and it was the first time in history that openly identified gay and lesbian people sat down for a weekend with uh, other clergy. And the result of that was they said, we want to keep this dialogue going, and the result was the Council on Religion and the Homosexual. That was all happening in 1964, and at the very end of the year, there was a dance held that was in support of the Council of Religion and the Homosexual, and that dance uh, was then raided by the police, and that story uh, evolved into the fact that for the first time starting the next year, the police department began to deal with not only the, uh, the issue of homosexuality within the city and relate to it in a different way, but also uh, the results of uh, the uh, race riots that were also beginning to develop around the country. Joe? Yeah. I'm Joanne Shadwick. They call me Joe. And I came out um, and came, <laughs> came to San Francisco in June of 64. And the first Sunday that I was here, the pastor at Ebenezer Lutheran Church jumped off the bridge. And we so began that journey of both suicide and um, dealing with issues of cl clergy misconduct, which later became part of my life. I served here in the city till 1987 when the ELCA um, suggested that perhaps women could it could be in leadership and I thought that would be interesting to to work on since all the time that I had been out here I was always known as what's her name so I went to Detroit um, to be assistant to the bishop and then to be the commission for women for 15 years where I served um, the um, national church I've always been an organizer, local, and I had a chance to see if I could change the church. I was somewhat successful and somewhat not, and now I'm retired, still trying to do the same things 10 years later. <laughs> well, you guys have been doing a lot of work for a lot of years, and um, particularly when uh, thinking about civil rights and the isms. Uh, racism, sexism, um, heterosexism, all, whatever the ism is, uh, that the, those things that keep people separated from people. Um, if we were to turn back the clock, and, and now it's 1960-something, 
What's the ache that you're dealing with uh, at this time? And, and, and what are you seeing, particularly around civil rights and the isms, um, you know, where you are? See, in 64, we were bombarded by everything. We were bombarded by gay and lesbian, um, homosexual, that whole um, thing. People were being beaten up. People were losing their jobs. We were dealing with African-Americans, same thing. I've been dealing with for a number of years at that, at that time. Mm. Women's role in the church and in society was entirely different 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was marches uh, for things like, um, like that. The, um, the patriarchy of the church, that whole thing. And so we had to sit down with like-minded people of which there were not many and mm. said okay you go to the meetings on vietnam you go to the meetings on on homosexuality and then if you need us right. we'll be there well right. we'll be there meant marching right. and and um and my brother uh, once wanted to uh, picket and my mother made him call me and i told him what he needed to do and he said it was too much work and he didn't want to picket so it isn't something you just do Without out right. thinking. So we found ourselves marching down Market Street with the same people, whether it was the war or African-American yep. or po- police brutality. <laughs> we started things at that point. So it was really, um, you could choose to ignore it or you could choose to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, one of the things that I've learned and I wanted to be sure that I said is that any of the marching, any of the demonstration, and which I still do, but I, ha- I, I have other people do it, do it for me, is no one was freed because I did that. It was my own need to mm-hmm. be able to do that. And that's why we're still, I'm still doing it. Yeah. One of these things developed out of the other. For example, after the dance was raided, uh, on New Year's Day Eve, the very next month, another group was formed called Citizens Alert. And I became part of that uh, executive committee too, simply because it was to designed to investigate police uh, brutality here in the city. We eventually... And, the, and, and we, this is what year? This is 1965. You know, just in case, you know, with police brutality being front and center in the news That's today, right. and, and, you know, it's 1965, <laughs> right, yeah. Right. Mm. What we found uh, is the fact that uh, we were not the agency to be able to deal with it because mm. what we got was reports from individuals who had been brutalized, turned them over to the police, and the result was that in all of the cases that we turned over for the next 10 years, only two were ever prosecuted and they were dismissed. So mm-hmm. we were not the agency that was going to uh, make a, a radical difference. But we did bring it to the attention of city government, and for a while it did make a difference. And when you say we, you know, are you talking about church leaders? Are you talking about... Um, uh, thank you. Yeah, both church leaders as well as this executive committee that was responsible for mm-hmm. Citizens Alert. Okay. Remember that the 60s also were a time of a free speech movement. So among other things, I was out at uh, uh, San, Francisco San, San Francisco State College, as it was called then. At the time, uh, I was part of the executive committee of the Lutheran Student Movement. And it happened, our meeting happened to be on a day when the riots took place simply because the students disconnected 
the amplifier, or, 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 no, the amplifier the students were using was disconnected by the authorities at the college. And the police then decided to break everything up, and I watched as the police on horseback drove the students out of the university campus. Mm. Actually, it was a college then, but mm. out of the college campus, up Holloway Street, beating them from horseback with long nightsticks, mm. knocking them to the ground, and then four police officers would gather around, pick them up by their arms and legs, and pitch them as hard as they could into the back of a van so that they would slide forward on their belly and hit their head on the front panel. Uh, another kind of form of brutality that is often hidden from uh, the eyes of the ordinary citizen. But I watched this happen from the second story window of the house that we were meeting in at the time. So the free speech movement was also the Another issue that uh, developed right around that same time, and shortly thereafter then, uh, in the 1960, 66-67, uh, uh, was a development out in the Haight-Ashbury of the Summer of Love. Mm -hmm. And there became another issue with homelessness of young people, and uh, Joe can probably say something about the people that uh, we tried to help and house during the time. <laughs> In some ways, we were lucky um, that the church um, created this mission that wasn't an organized church yet, and that they were what, far, far away. So it was a disorganized church. It was no, no it wasn't. But it, but but it gave us a free, certain freedom. Yeah. They, I mean, we didn't have. Um, the checks and balances that you would have in you know in a, in a big congregation so we had a certain amount of freedom to to do do some of these things and of course when i think about it if we the people that um that were coming from all over the country we used to get pictures from um, Minnesota, mm. Chicago, of their child that they thought might be out here, and they thought we we might be able to find them, oh, wow. uh, be and and we did sometimes, but mostly we we found other kids hunting, looking for the pot of gold, and many of them came to sleep in our apartments that we we had two apartments that we shared, and I think about doing that today, and I think I can, it makes me. Yeah, a little, little bit scared. I wasn't scared then. I just you know, cracked another egg and, <laughs> and, and, and so all these made, people made an, another another meal. But that's that was how it was. There were so many um, the summer of love that was has was its own culture, um, and it's it's not here in, anymore. At sure, all, but you know? but there at that you but what you're saying is there are people coming off the street living in your house. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So all of the overlay of the different um, different groups. What happened after that in your experience? Well, then we I, again. I was just trying to think. We put a lot of energy into becoming an organized church to become. A, um, why don't you talk a little bit about how we tried to um, do church differently to demonstrate how. Um, Well, let me, let me do two things. Yeah. One, one thing I want to say is that Joe was the primary person responsible for opening my eyes to uh, the whole woman's movement and the, the same 
issues that were involved with women that were involved with all of these other minorities. The other person, I suppose, is Del Martin and Phyllis Lyon, two lesbians, who contacted, whom I contacted shortly after I got here because I thought was one of the entrees into the gay community. Uh, th these are two women who uh, founded the Daughters of Belitis, and the result was they were producing a magazine called The Ladder. Robbie Holschner came to town. Uh, I had worked with Robbie in Philadelphia when I was there, and he was a journalist for the Lutheran, and so he said, why don't we see if we can get an interview with them? So I contacted D uh, Phyllis and Dell, and they said, yes, uh, we're having a meeting of our local chapter here on, let's say, Saturday night. Uh, you can come if you want. And so Robbie and I went to meet the two of them, and Phyllis met us at the door, and she said, You're welcome, and here were a group of about eight, ten women sitting in a circle around the living room. And Phyllis looked at me, and she said, Sit down and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Just listen. Mm. And what we realized is that all of these women were involved in some work position, often uh, high-paying jobs, but had to remain totally silenced. And while they were there, even in that room, they used alternate names. They did not use their real names. And so we listened and began to hear some of their pain. But also they turned my head around as to what women were struggling with, apart from even being lesbian. If you're lesbian, it's a double whammy because you're not only gay, but you're also uh, a woman. And... So those are the individuals in my life that have really shaped my understanding of the women's movement and the necessity of uh, it, that it continue. National Organization for Women, Phyllis and Dell, they were so discriminatory against lesbians. Hmm. So that became another battle, woman against woman. And um, so, it's, so it, it, as you talk about the layers, yeah. it... it, it it goes on and on. And, of course, for those people who are here, this will know that Phyllis and Dell got married, were able to be the first w women married here in San Francisco mm. on their 50th anniversary. And I always think about the church when they talk about gays and lesbians being promiscuous. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How long they waited to get the blessing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah. they were newlyweds on their 50th newlyweds, anniversary. You know. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing, David, in that time, when I think about as the movement moved on, mm -hmm. many, you know, 2012, yeah. um, that, that yeah. how, how long after, but that, oh, I lost my train of thought, that, oh, that at that time, we were dealing with civil rights. Civil yeah. rights were much easier to deal with. It was very clear. People don't want other people to be hurt. But when you get into the theological arguments then it becomes mm -hmm. another whole a whole mm -hmm. thing so in lots of ways that time was easier I'm, i you know i don't know how to say that i mean easier if you were doing something about it because you you felt good about, mm -hmm. about it mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. because you were able to 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 try to do something it took longer with 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 uh, with our work in in the church itself I, i'm curious about how you see how you see the the present civil rights uh you know everything from uh the supreme court ruling uh recently and to 
to Ferguson, to Baltimore, to yeah. these things that um, both uh, some incredible victories uh, and some incredible uh, pain, fear, step back, maybe, I don't know, Bowen. staying still. You know, we have, um, at the same time as we have had an African-American president, president. Um, we have some of the same types of issues that we've seen since forever uh, mm -hmm. ha happening. Yep. Um, what a charged time we live in, and it's a lot of the same stuff with, 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 with successes and failures. Um, just your perspective on where we are today. Yeah, it's it's it. It feels like it goes around and and comes <laughs> around all the, all the time. And you know, and just as soon as you think, well, maybe one. You know, we don't even have an equal rights amendment in this country. We can't get that passed for mm -hmm. for women. I mean, you know, not half a generation before me, we didn't have the vote. Yeah. I mean, so you know, I mean, it's this not right. a, a very long um, period of time, and many countries that. One of my joys is, is because of my position, I was able to travel globally and to see women in leadership around the world. Mm -hmm. And we and we can hardly get, you know, them elected. I mean, I think maybe I'll I'll will see a woman um, elected. You know, I, I just but it's it's I think it's. Some of it's related to the communication thing. I mean, in terms of people being able to quickly know and hear about things, and the other is is the um, when you see a person, um, I'll just call it like Trump, and seeing all the support he gets for bigotry. I mean, that, that this, and this is to be the president of the of the free land of the free, the home of the brave. Yeah. So you know, it's like it's the work isn't over. Um, mm -hmm. it, um, it, and it takes people. I mean, I know it's it's still our task, and our generation still has to tell. Be sure that we tell the story. I, I still say, you know, if you don't know your history, you're bound to repeat it. And mm -hmm. so, if nothing else, that some people like us can can um, can share that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think one other thing to remember, David, is. Related to an article I wrote many years ago that said, freedom is never finished. Mm. And it, it is finished when we stop working for it. The answer that I, uh, the, the message that I've consistently sent out to the gay community is remember that all the freedoms that have been won up until this point have been won by law. They can be taken away by law just as easily. And that's exactly what was happening while we were celebrating freedoms here in San Francisco. Anita Bryant was preaching her hate message in Florida. And bumper stickers were delivered f to cars that said, kill a queer for Christ. Hmm. The same thing is true in the women's movement, in the, the, the black uh, freedom movement, the peace movement, all of these things, if we don't, once we relax our efforts, that's when the evil takes over. So we don't celebrate victories easily because we know this is just one step along the way mm -hmm. and freedom is never really finished. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think I just hope that there will be 
more and more people who will open themselves to the possibilities of love in the world and embrace it unfinchingly and unfearingly wherever it takes them. Because uh, that, that will bring about change in and of itself. Uh, the issues that are going to confront my nieces and nephews are climate change, uh, which at the moment seems unstoppable and probably will only stop when there's a mass extinction of human beings in some country as a result. Mm. Why is it that in almost every instance we only learn when someone has to die mm. and when they die as a kind of martyr, if nothing else, that makes the difference. But why do we have to wait to that point? And yet it seems that we do. Uh, whether you're talking about Martin Luther King Jr. or, or whoever else. Um, the future is as bright as we're going to make it. Mm. And so as long as we keep participating and saying, as Dag Hammarskjöld once said, say yes to life, uh, there is a future. And it will make a difference for those who come after us. Yeah. The future is as bright as we're going to make it. I really like that idea. Because it means we all have a hand in creating it. Every last one of us. It reminds me of something else that Chuck said. Freedom is never finished. Maybe the point is that freedom is a work in progress. Freedom is the work of giants and heroes like Martin Luther King Jr. and Gandhi and Harriet Tubman and, and the like. Freedom is the work of people you've never heard of, people whose names will never be written in any history book. They are your neighbors and your teachers and your parents and your friends. Freedom is the work in which we all share. It's never done or perfected, but it may just be the most important work we ever do. As Chuck said, we don't celebrate victories easily because we know this is just one step along the way. And freedom is never really finished. With many years of work behind us and, and many more to go, the future is as bright as we are going to make it. And we keep working and moving and marching and listening and creating, caring and remembering. Because freedom, it's never really finished. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. To stay up to date with all the things going on in the Sandbox, sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Rate and review us on iTunes. Let us know what you think about the podcast and join us in the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, be sure to share this podcast with someone who might like it. There is always more room in the Sandbox. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox. 